Hello and welcome to the Billboard.com Pop Shop Podcast. My name is Keith Caulfield and I am the co-director of charts at Billboard. Joining me as always is Billboard.com senior editor Katie Irene Kara Atkinson. <laughs> Hi Keith. How are you? I'm doing famously. You're doing famously? <laughs> Fame. What a feeling. Famously. What a feeling. <laughs> Fame. It, it, <laughs> oh boy i'm trying to think of another irene Kara song and i'm having a hard that's time that's all i got <laughs> I, i've got fame and flash dance <laughs> that's all i got too Best the queen of mu- movie soundtracks in the 80s nothing <laughs> oh well anyway the billboard pop shop podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on billboards weekly charts in addition you can always count on a lively discussion about the week's big pop news fun chart stats and stories and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop this week on the show, we've got an interview with Fitz of Fitz and the Tantrums. The frontman of the band stopped by the office last week to talk about their new self-titled album, how the set's lead single, Handclap, is the, quote, compass for the record, hmm, and his thoughts on the group's music in TV commercials. You've heard uh, their music a lot. Even if you don't know their name, you know their music. Oh, goodness. You've heard their songs <laughs> all over the place. Yes. Um, plus, we've got chart updates about Drake, Sia, Paul Simon, Shawn Mendes, and Rihanna. Whoo. And can the Hamilton cast album finally crack the top 10 of the Billboard 200 albums chart following its big night at the Tony Awards? Well, we'll talk about that and more on the show this week. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, we implore you to subscribe to the show on iTunes so you won't miss an episode and give us a rating or review while you're at it. If you have any questions for us, feel free to tweet us at Keith underscore Caulfield or KT Atkinson. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit iTunes.com slash Billboard Podcasts. So, Katie, did you watch the Tony Awards uh, this past weekend? I did watch them. Uh, It was a really great show. James Corden was the perfect host, as expected. Um, You watched as well, right? I watched, well, I watched portions of. Portions, okay. Full disclosure, I watched portions of the show. I watched the whole darn thing. And I think what surprised me the most is, um, aside from Hamilton, how familiar I was with every other, like, show that's happening right now like it, it was the most typically when i tune into the tonys that i discover a lot of new yeah. shows this time it was like it's been a big year for broadway because like everything was familiar to me i don't hmm. know it was and it was great and everybody was amazing i, want, I wonder if some of that is because the color purple was a revival of a show mm-hmm. that was a fairly recent show well in spring awakening also which performed after the whole like kickstarter drama that we were talking about um they ended up performing and and uh, they are also a very recent revival. I mean, that's where Leah Michelle and Jonathan Groff right. came from um, only like a decade ago. Right. Um, and But James Corden like basically set the tone for the whole night. He started out, obviously, they talked about Orlando, mm-hmm. um, but he just like put it right at like a great tone saying like, hate will never win. And then it was on to like this just fun, entertaining show the rest of the time. Um. Was Hamilton like? Did was there any breathing room outside of Hamilton to, for, yeah. to celebrate anything else? Yes, because Hamilton won what? 11? They won eleven awards. They were nominated for sixteen. There was However, no way they could have won all sixteen. The most that they could have won was thirteen. So basically, they they won eleven when they could have won thirteen. Had they won all thirteen, that would have been a record. I right? Because yes. I think the record was twelve. But the other record-setting part of the night was that um, four of the big acting categories were all people of color, which was the first time that had ever happened. Right, and, and, and we can just say, instead of just, we, we could say people of color, but we could also just say 
for black people. I'm using Tony Awards language. Right. Well, because when you say, when you say, well, because I saw that too, people of color, I'm like, oh, maybe was there a Latino that won or an Asian gentleman that won? And I was like, oh no, it's actually four black actors and three of them were in Hamilton. And while you saw, um, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda up on the stage a lot, he did not win the leading actor award that went to Leslie Odom Jr. Yeah. And I don't think that Lin-Manuel actually was favored to, to win best actor in a musical. I think a lot of people thought that the gentleman who was in Fiddler on the Roof, whose name I forget, Same. was going to win. It's all right. He, he was part of the greatest The Law and skit. Order skit. Oh, so good. Oh my God. It was my favorite, like, it was like my favorite award show bit of all time. Like, not just Tony's. Really? All like, time? Seriously, because it was just so perfectly executed. Like, they started with Claire Danes, who is clearly known for either My So-Called Life or Homeland. Right. And they when said, they, you know her from her TV role as... In Law and Order. And you're like... And they go to her, like, anonymous character name from Law & Order, and they just keep doing that. And they even found one where David and Leslie from Hamilton right. were in the same episode, playing opposite Which each other. Hilarious. And, you, and thought, you thought that would be the capper. And then they go to the Fiddler on the Roof star, who was in various versions of Law & Order. Like, was it five, six I, it's times? It's like five or six different roles. Oh, different my God. Characters. It was truly incredible. And all over the course of his career, because you can see his, like, hairline changes, how he doesn't <laughs> yes. have any hair, he has a beard. They throw some glasses on him. <laughs> yeah, like. <laughs> and also that speaks to how Law & Order is such a. It's the New York actor show. Yeah, every New York actor goes through Which, Law & Order. So there's so many people from Broadway. Because if they, if they have time to, like, just film something quick. You know, just be a corpse for a day on just, Law and Order. What was what? What do you think outside of Hamilton was kind of like a, a big show-stopping moment that could actually generate some sort of buzz around something that maybe didn't have it? For me, it was Waitress. Mm. Jesse Mueller, who starred in Beautiful, the Carol King musical, a few years back. Waitress is a show that was it was it's written by Sarah Bareilles. Mm -hmm. I think was all the music in yeah there? music is Sarah Bareilles and, and she actually performed as well to, was, to intro Jesse's performance it was based on the movie of the same name starring Carrie Russell which Carrie Russell introduced the performance oh, last night she's lovely. like two weeks out of having a baby and looked fabulous by no. the aside she's a, she's a professional at this <laughs> but um Jesse Mueller's her her voice is just insane and she killed it and her um, like the way she emotes her singing is like I've just never seen anything like her before. She's so good. And the Waitress uh, cast album actually, I think, just came out. Uh, I want to say a week ago. Good timing. Well, they tend to do this. Awards. <laughs> it's like they planned it. So, could Hamilton finally hit the top ten on the Billboard 200 chart? It's a little early for us to forecast. We don't have a forecast yet, but because it will be on next week's Billboard 200. Yeah, because the the way the chart week works is that the the charts that we published this week to the the website this week meaning if it's june 12th or june 12th it is june 13th but this show june will 14th. air june 14th sorry <laughs> timey wimey wibbly wobbly <laughs> the charts that um are going up this week with june 14th the the show are actually for the week ending for the sales week ending thursday june 9th. at midnight yeah. yeah so the tony awards will be captured in the following week's charts so I have the I have a feeling that it'll be top ten. Could it could it threaten like top five, top three, top mm -hmm. two? All possible. Um, I the last top ten album. Well, actually, I have a bunch of interesting chart stats. Okay, bring them. So Hamilton actually has actually sold four hundred and forty five thousand copies in the U S. through the weekend in June 9th. So that's before the Tony Awards. Um, and that's and all. Half a million is like pretty massive for a Broadway album, right? Yes, for a cast album, those are enormous numbers. Um, and of course, those numbers are according to Nielsen Music. 
And on the latest Billboard 200 Albums chart, which is the chart that you see on our website right now, uh, the set rises 18 to 13. And it's actually already among the top 20 best-selling cast albums of the last 25 years. Which is crazy. <laughs> and we're talking about a musical that just debuted in November, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's the biggest-selling cast album released in more than 10 years. Uh, so that's encompassing a lot of famous you know, musicals. Yeah. And the last cast recording released with greater sales is the original Broadway cast recording of Jersey Boys, which debuted on November 1st, 2005, and has now sold 1.4 million copies yeah so that means every album every cast recording released since 2005 has not sold more than what hamilton has done in like you know six or eight months yeah um since the hamilton album actually debuted 37 weeks ago at number 12 on the billboard 200 and that was also the highest debut for a cast album since 1961 the album has yet to leave the chart and has spent the last 13 weeks in the top 20 i did not realize that you didn't no yeah it recently hit a new peak, climbing to number 11 on the May 28th chart. Because it debuted at number 12, right? Yeah. 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 Um, thus far, it has the highest. Uh, it is the highest charting cast recording since 2011, when the Book of Mormon reached the top 10 and peaked at number 3 in the wake of its big night at the Tony Awards, where it won a bunch of trophies and a temporary discount for buck ninety nine in the Amazon MP3 store. I feel like there are a couple of things working in Hamilton's favor. Uh, one is obviously that they won so many awards, so people that's just going to be people's interest who weren't interested before. Right. But the other thing is that they had so many moments in the show on Sunday night. In like they had their performance number, their traditional performance number, like every best musical um, nominee did. But then they also closed the show. They opened with the show. The sisters. They opened it with James Corden. They did the carpool karaoke again, they where did? they yes, they played an extended version of the carpool karaoke. So you're gonna have to go back to your desk and watch that. Oh my goodness! Where they added the King song from Hamilton, Jonathan Groff or whoever is You'll the king that. now. Um, yeah, they did that. Um, for, and I that wasn't in the original one, so it was no. like a slightly extended version. Wow. Yeah. There were, so there's a lot of moments that are ready for viral consumption. Oh, yes. So oh, not to mention Lin-Manuel uh, performing sonnet. with Andrew Lloyd Webber, oh, too, outside of the theater. So, yeah, you had, you had him performing outside with Andrew Lloyd Webber on tambourine, Sarah uh-huh. Bareilles, Steve Martin, Edie Brickell. And the cast themselves had their own performing outside moment, too. The entire cast was out there doing a, a group number together. Man. So it was just – it really was uh, the – uh, Hollywood reporter, uh, Tony's reporter, Scott Feinberg, he was hashtagging it Hamiltonies. Hamiltonies. And it really was. Um, well, while we're talking about the Billboard 200, um, guess who's still number one, Katie? Um, is it, could it be uh, uh, Drake? Maybe. <laughs> is it Drake for uh, the many, many week in a row? Yes. <laughs> it's still Drake. Still Drake. Drake's Views is still number one for a sixth straight week on the chart. It now has the most consecutive weeks at number one for an album by a man since 50 Cent's The Massacre also had six straight weeks at number one way back in 2005. Has there been anyone else who has had more weeks at number one, but maybe not in the same, you know, in, in consecutive like in order? Um, yeah, actually, uh, I, I note that in my story online that ran this week. In terms of men... I guess I should read Keith's stories. Um, that wasn't that wasn't shade. <laughs> um, Eminem's recovery had actually more, at least, you know, since 50 Cent. Eminem's recovery had seven weeks at number one, but those were not all consecutive weeks. And, of course, there are also albums by women with more weeks at number one in that span of time, consecutive or not. 
um, like Adele, you know, 25 and 21, Taylor Swift's 1989, you know, the yada, usual yada. suspects, and the Frozen soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, um, elsewhere in the new Billboard 200's top 10, Paul Simon earns the top debut of the week as his Stranger to Stranger debuts at number three, his highest debut ever on the chart, and his highest charting album since Graceland also reached number three way back in 1987. The new album launches with 68,000 equivalent album units earned in the week ending June 9th, according to Nielsen Music, of which 67,000 were in traditional album sales. Um, so big week for Paul Huge Simon. Huge week. Um, and I think most people, he, he releases albums like once every like five years or yeah, something. Yeah, his last one was not that long ago, it just, and it was great. I mean, it, it, was, it wasn't like forever ago, mm-hmm. but, you know, in terms of the, the cycle that we see now, yeah, it was oh, yeah. kind of forever ago. Yeah. Um, and I think he's been doing a lot of uh, a lot of press that has really kind of uh, reached people. Clearly, I heard him on NPR doing an interview. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's been doing a lot of uh, press that has clearly worked, and he had a great week. And he also has the top selling album of the week. This this album sold more than any other album in terms of just traditional album sales. So he's oh, number Paul. one on our top album sales chart. Um, over on the Hot One Hundred chart. Wait, who's who's number one uh, there? Who is it, Keith? <laughs> You may have heard of him. It's, it's Drake. It's Drake. It's Drake. It's the Drake Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the Drake Show, so I'm okay the Drake with this. Show. Um, Drake's One Dance, uh, Designers Panda, and Justin Timberlake's Can't Stop the Feeling are all numbers one through three again for the fourth consecutive week. Wow, that is not a record. I've already checked. Um, the top ten, frankly, is a wee bit boring. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it is. It's it's. it's, it's we not- hope you still tuned into the Periscope this week, though. <laughs> well, yeah, it's already happened. So it's, it's already happened. <laughs> um, so I'm going to look outside the top ten to, to find some interesting tidbits right. to tell you about. So Sia's Cheap Thrills, uh, featuring Sean Paul, climbs 19 to 13, thus becoming her highest charting single since Chandelier reached number eight in August of 2014. Um, did you know? That Cheap Thrills was originally written for Rihanna for possible inclusion on her Anti album. I think that Rihanna made a mistake. Well. Because <laughs> I really like that song. I think it's an awesome song. I hope it keeps climbing. Well, uh, maybe Rihanna's upset. Maybe, you know. You know, I'm sure Rihanna's just she's fine. She's not. She's fine. <laughs> That's been the case with a few other Sia songs, though, too. Wasn't, because uh, uh, Sia wrote Diamonds for Rihanna, right? Yes, and she took Diamonds. And I know, but there was another song that uh, Sia had a hit with. That... Well, the, enti- the entire new album from Sia, This Is Acting, is comprised of songs entirely written. That for... she contributed to other people. That she gave to other people. Specifically Rihanna or other people. Well, let me finish. Okay. That okay, she... what, what other people did she write for Keith? Well, the first single from the the album was called Alive, mm-hmm. and it was intended for Adele. Oh, yes. I do and recall Adele that, And Adele actually too. Has, a, has a co-writing credit on it. Wow. But Adele ultimately declined using the song on her album. So the entire Sia album is comprised of songs that she wrote for other people that they ultimately turned down. I mean, it feels like a win-win <laughs> for everyone because, like, Sia can write these songs, and sure, they get rejected, but that just means she gets them. Yeah. And they're great, so... Um, Speaking of Rihanna, she scores her 56th Hot 100 hit as her new single, Nothing Is Promised, with Mike Will Made It, debuts at number 75. It's the first single from Mike Will's upcoming album, Ransom 2, due out later this year. Katie and I were kind of debating the um, 
the genesis of this Nothing Is Promised song, and we weren't sure, like, because it sounds very much like stuff on Rihanna's new album. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, I'm like, I wonder if it was a collaboration that maybe was going to be on her album, and it didn't work out, and she's like, go ahead, if you want to take it for your album, Rihanna's just giving gifts all around uh, the, the music Harris industry. <laughs> yes. I mean, she's, I, I think it's, in a way, it's what she's been doing and what her and a lot of artists have been doing over the past couple years, where it's kind of, you're bucking the trends of what's supposed to be done. You know, she worked with Paul McCartney and Kanye West. Mm-hmm. She, you know, uh, put out the anti album in a very unconventional way. She worked with Mike. Well, made she's it. She's not Alvin a proprietary Harris. person. It's not like I'm only going to keep things for just me, the Rihanna brand. It's like she shares the wealth. It's very collaborative. Yeah, yeah. Um, elsewhere on the Hot 100, uh, one last tidbit: Sean Mendez uh, has his fourth top 40 charting hit this week as his new single "Treat You Better." debuts at number 34 um it's actually his second top uh, 40 hit this year after i know what you did last time <laughs> um it's the first single from his upcoming second studio album which i believe is due a little bit later this year i want to say fall fall we'll go with that um i think now it is time for our guest interview let's do it uh of, of with of <laughs> with fits of fits in the tantrums um, AKA Michael Fitzpatrick. Uh, he graciously stopped by the office last week, uh, the day after the band actually played Jimmy Kimmel Live. So we talked a little bit about that, and uh, who knows how much sleep they got because it was a very hmm. long night, evidently. I guess they taped three shows back to back. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a long night. Um, anyway, he talked about their new uh, pop leaning self titled album, which was released on June 10th. Interestingly enough, it was also mostly produced by Jesse Shatkin who produced Sia's Chandelier. There you go. Um, and he yeah, al- full circle. Yeah, he also produced um, One Direction's Perfect, and he's worked with Kylie Minogue and Cheryl Cole. So it was interesting because the, the new album is is kind of poppy in many ways. Mm-hmm. It's still al- alternative-y and bandy and, and a little bit rocky, but it's, it's a lot more pop than I think their previous material. So it was interesting to kind of talk about that in the context of how we're on the pop shop and also in terms of, what Jesse brought to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition, uh, Fitz also talked about their single hand clap and how the song came together really quickly um, and how it was kind of like the kicking off point for the recording of the entire album. And he talked about their thoughts on how they place their music into TV commercials. Um, you've heard their song, The Walker, in a million places, mm-hmm. probably most famously in the commercial for the Academy Awards a few years ago when you saw Ellen DeGeneres, who was the host, do a one-take commercial where she's walking through a back lot with a bunch of people in tuxedos singing. And that turned into an amazing commercial. And you've heard their music in other places yeah. since. But he talks about that, and it's a really interesting conversation because, you know, he it's, it's, it's just an interesting conversation where you talk about, you know, the dynamics of the music business now and how you have to reach people. Mm-hmm. So anyway, here's our interview with Fitz of Fitz and the Tantrums. Welcome, Fitz, to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. Of course, of Fitz and the Tantrums. How are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me. You had a very long night last night because we were actually talking about this before we started. You recorded a show for Kimmel. Yep. And then you did like... You met fans and did photo ops and stuff. Have you had much sleep since last night? Uh, not as much as I'd like, but that's just the the way it goes when you're when you're on a record cycle. The, the life of a rock and roll star, and the album's about to drop. Yeah, you, June tenth. June tenth. This uh, we're actually recording this before the album comes out on Friday, but people are going to hear this after the album's already come out. Um, I want to say congratulations on the new album. Thanks so much. Um, I've been listening to it truly uh, nonstop. 
for the past day or two. Um, and it's so enjoyable to listen to because it's so it's so fun and poppy and like it's it's hard to describe because like on like as you're going along with one song you're like okay poppy pop and then all of a sudden you're throwing a curveball in the bridge and something else happens and I think that's what's so interesting about the album is that it always keeps you kind of surprised from track to track was there kind of like a mindset going into the album when you were making it about what the vibe was that you were trying to create or is it just like whatever sounds good sounds good um well you know I think we've always strived to evolve from one record to the next and from record one to record two, you know, going into it, I had a real clear vision of what that was going to look like. And then, uh, you know, we had all the success on More Than Just a Dream album, toured endlessly, got off the road and thought it was just going to be easy breezy. Like, I mean, the last record, we wrote 30 songs in 40 days and the record was done. Wow. And uh, I thought this was going to be the same and it just didn't turn out to be that way. It was... Uh, you know, in total, over a year in the making to, to find the path for this record, because at first, I don't know if it was exhaustion and writer's block or a combination, <laughs> um, but just took a lot of soul searching to find those things. To me, I want to be excited when I listen to a song. Uh, you know, I always am listening to our music as if I'm a, a fan or a music listener, and I want to be titillated and excited and be like, what's that sound? What's what's that song about? Yeah. Um, so it took a while to to find uh, our groove and what that was going to be. And hand clap was really, you know, after four or five months of sort of hitting a wall night after night after night, uh, you know, um, you know, wrote hand clap very quickly. And that was the beginning of this sort of compass was set for the record. Was that the first song that 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 you kind of found as like this is kind of the direction and like everything was kind of built following hand clap is that kind of what you're saying yeah i mean it was sort of like that song came together very quickly you know it's uh, funny how that works out like the ones that it's like the song that just comes together effortlessly you're like oh oh that one instead of the one i've been laboring over for the past two months oh i mean so so true you know and it was like wrote the music wrote the lyrics very quickly ran into the vocal booth laid down a vocal and i could feel it in the moment of creation, because that's my favorite part of making a record is when everything's just coming together, converging simultaneously, and it has that flow. And so I laid down this this uh, vocal take and I could feel it as I was doing it. And that take ended up being the one on the record because it just had this kinetic energy of excitement and as soon as it was uh, you know i laid my vocals and we came back into the room and we played it we were all dancing around and i knew we had our song yeah. and that was maybe the first good night of sleep i had in like four <laughs> or five months like finally um well hand clap of course is the first single from the new self-titled album it's already a top 10 hit on the alternative songs airplay chart and when i heard the song for the first time i heard and I could be wrong, but the bass line on it is so distinctive, and it it reminded me of Rock Lobster by the B-52s because it has this cool, like, really springy bass line. Was that an intentional, like, callback, or am I just crazy for even hearing that in the first place? I think you're crazy. I'm no, crazy. I, I, I mean, I, it wasn't a conscious reference, but, you know, all those great... 80s pop songs always live in my our head anyway yeah they they live in my subconscious you know and so you know it's you know those influence especially because we're a band that 
truly tries to be a cross genre rec- uh, album, you know, band, we have so many influences and they just weave themselves in and out. You know, and it's not a conscious thing that you're doing. It they just show themselves, yeah. and then it's sort of like when you take a second and take a step back, you're like, "Oh, I see. Yeah, all those influences they're they're coming through loud and clear." And I and j- just to be clear, I wasn't saying that it was like a sample or anything. Oh like no, that. I was just like, I love it when I hear things, and I'm like, "Why do I? I'm like, oh, I love that." And and that's that the the record, the whole record has those moments where you go, "Oh, oh," like um, on "Get Right Back," it's like this really fun stompy track and it has this great like hey 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 i i love that on fade back i swear it could be like a dance hit because it's so like funky and groovy like you could work it to dance clubs and it could be a, like that's why what you were saying like you have so many influences it's hard to categorize you know the band even though you're on our you're on our alternative charts but at the same time like there's funk and r&b and soul and pop and do you find it limiting when people say, oh, you're like an alt-rock pop band, or you're just like whatever? Like, we, we understand how this works. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, especially on the first record, people, you know, because that had a lot of 60s soul yeah, influence. Yeah. Everyone was like, retro throwback band, and I got so tired. It's I was unfortunate. Like, like, we always need, like, a thing to, like, define you. It's like to introduce, like, the retro funk throwback band. Exactly. Like, so I was, you know, on a mission. I was like, oh, you want to just label us? I'm going to... I'm going to mess with your minds moving forward on these next two records and you're not going to be able, it's going to be really hard for you to be that reductive of (laughs) like one or two words, you know? And for me, you know, this record, you know, is definitely our most pop record that we've done to date. Um, and that's because I love pop music, and pop to me is not a bad word. Well, you know, it's like to me, I, I love, you know, there's a real, uh, beauty and craft, to being able to write a song that by the before the song ends you're singing along that's not an easy thing to do and yeah. that's what i love you know so for me you know this record definitely has pop aspirations spoke of you know pop music and your love of pop music and a, a big pop producer actually worked on the album with you guys jesse shatkin um who worked with everyone from kyla minogue and Cheryl cole and he produced see a chandelier and even one direction um what was it about him that you know made you guys want to work with him and, and what was it like collaborating with him um well i had sort of had my sights on jesse for a while because jesse um you know, Jesse, I love the work that Jesse does on tracks. You know, Chandelier, if you actually dig behind Sia's amazing vocals, there's some amazing production work. And actually, uh, Jesse did uh, Matt and Kim's uh, last single as well, which is totally different and way weirder and quirky <laughs> and edgy. And when I heard that track, I knew that his ability to do the left of center and the pop thing were sort of a perfect marriage. And what I love about Jesse is Jesse comes from like underground hip hop. That's actually his roots. Um, So I knew that, you know, having, you know, we had worked together once or twice writing songs for other people. And I had seen the way he worked. I heard his sounds. I mean, he's a, a curator of sounds. He's, you know, when he's not in the studio, he's sitting up at night making little weird blips and blops and little unique sounds that, 
that I knew when we went into like finish these songs to take them from demo to finish record that I was going to have his genius and his his vault of magic at my disposal and that's exactly the way it went down and him and I are very uh similar minded where we're sort of finishing each other's sentences but in musical form you mm. know he sounds like a true like music geek like you know someone who is able to you know on the one hand, like being an engineer who, you know, actually had a, a Grammy Award nomination for Record of the Year for Kelly Clarkson's uh, Stronger, um, but also at the same time can be informed by hip hop or by rock or by whatever. And that's that's the synergy that you hear on your album, you know, because there's a little bit of everything. and It's this melting pot of sounds, but it all works really well together. Um, I want to ask, uh, sort of switching gears a little bit, a lot of people know you and know your band's work from uh, TV commercials, which sounds crazy, but... Your songs have been heard in so many commercials, and I think I think the biggest one is the Academy Awards commercial that Ellen DeGeneres was in, and you guys performed on Ellen, I think, a month ago um, with The Walker, which that amazing one-shot commercial. Um, is there a process that goes through you and the band, like when you're approached with a song or an offer to be put into a commercial? Is there a kind of like, hmm... What do we have to weigh here about letting our song go to be used in a commercial? Is there like a, a thought process or a checklist? Like, is it this? Is it, you know, do we like the Sprite? Do we like Supercuts? That sort of thing. Well, I think, you know, uh, you know, it's a, uh, an issue that all artists have to deal with these Especially days. Especially today, yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's a part of the way that we as artists survive, you know, Um and I think you have to have a certain compass for what's acceptable to you and what's not, you know, I mean, uh, you know, and so we every offer we take in and we weigh, you know, the 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 pluses and minuses, you know, obviously, we're not going to get behind a Halliburton or right. uh, something that we don't, <laughs> you know, this new cigarette campaign, exactly we that we don't believe in on that core level. But as also at the same time, you know, uh you cannot deny the the reach you know and the you make music to reach people and this day and age you know having your music on a commercial um can be the difference between people knowing about your music or not or that's their first introduction and hey if somebody sees us on uh a cheese commercial and they hear our music and then they go investigate us you know, and then six months later, they're at our show and they buy a T-shirt the and they're singing along yeah. to every song. Then then we as a band, we win, you know, and and like I said, we got to, you know, we all have kids now. We yeah. all have to pay for pay those bills. ridiculous preschool tuitions in <laughs> California. Has there ever been an offer that you're just like, no, we can't do this? Yeah, we have. You know, I mean, there's been certain things that it's like that does doesn't sit well with us, yeah. you know. I don't think we can get behind that, you know, and and you just have to make that decision as a collective every time. I do that all the time where I'm sitting like I'm sitting somewhere and I'm watching TV or I'm, I hear something on the radio and it's in a commercial. And I'm like, I've never heard this song. I'm like, I should I in theory, I should know this song concern. I do work allegedly in the music industry and I'll Shazam it. And I do that all the time with KSRW. I listen to KSRW, and if I'm in the middle of a set of songs, I'll Shazam something. So it's just a way of people discovering music because it's so hard to get people's attention anymore. Yeah. Um, well, and the truth of the matter is, is that you know a lot of these uh, creatives at advertising agencies, they are uh, they have great 
taste. Yeah. So they're they're pulling stuff that normally, you know, pop radio, the industry itself might not ever oh. really acknowledge. Yeah. And then it gets on a commercial and it gets traction and then all of a sudden a band that couldn't get arrested at radio is having a moment. Yeah. You know? It's it's funny how it works the other way now like you you get a hit through a TV commercial and then it goes back to radio after the fact. Um, I want to know what's coming up for you guys this summer, like relentless touring, I would imagine, right? Yeah, we uh, we start this summer doing our Get Right Back summer tour, and we are going to be touring all across America. And people can go to our website, fitsinthetantrums.com, to see if we're coming to a town near them. <laughs> I think you may have said that once or twice before. Yes. Um, well, the new album is out now. Make sure to go check it out. And thank you again so much for stopping by. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Fitz, uh, Fitz and the Tantrums. Uh, good luck with the new album mm-hmm. and the incessant touring that you guys will be doing all throughout the year. We'll see you on every TV show. <laughs> Hopefully so. <laughs> it is now time for our chart stat of the week. <laughs> This week in 1970, the Beatles earned its final number one on the Billboard Hot 100 with the double-sided single, The Long and Winding Road, For You Blue. It was the band's 20th number one, and the group continues to hold the record for the most number ones among all acts in the chart's history. Now, while the Beatles have yet to score another number one since, and of course they very melt, they could it's, Who knows? Yeah. It's possible. You don't know what's in the vault. We don't know. Um, they have charted a handful of times in the ensuing decades since their final number one. And they've gone as high as number six with Free as a Bird in 1996. Speaking of from the vault stuff, mm-hmm. that song, Free as a Bird, was the first single from their anthology series albums. Mm-hmm. They released anthologies one, two, and three, which was this... Each one was a double album of archival stuff dug up out of the vaults. And they did, like, TV documentaries around a it. Book. And I loved all that. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, we had the book. And Free as a Bird <laughs> was, I think it started off as a demo recording that John Lennon made on a cassette. And then the three then-surviving Beatles, Paul, George, and Ringo, completed the song around John's lyrics, or vocals, and turned it into the first single from Anthology yeah. 1. And it hit the top 10. They did it again with another single called Real Love, the following album, Anthology 2, I think. Didn't make the top 10, but it was still a top 20 single. So anyway, there is your chart stat of the week. Back in 1970 this week, the Beatles earned its final number one on the Hot 100 with the long and winding road for you, Blue. Can I put you totally on the spot? Uh, yeah. Who is the closest to them? Oh, um, is it Mariah? I think it's still Mariah, and I think it's 18? 18. Yeah, okay. Um, I love putting Keith on the spot. It's terrible. <laughs> um, we'll be back next week. Uh, Katie, do you have any parting words? A selection for our closing song? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, so I many feel options. like Beatles. True. I love the Beatles. We could do The Long and Winding Road. Yeah, let's do that. That's right. a perfect exit song. All right, well, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Long and winding road. Hey.